Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we're going to talk to Brad Hoppy, who's typically my co-host, and Chase Gibson's hanging out at Brad's house, and we're just going to have a general conversation about fishing, kind of talk about current fishing, talk a little bit about some uh, Mayhem 10,000 casts, and I don't know, Chase is going to hold down the fort. We're going to have, he's going to be like the Matt Seifert today. We're just going to give him one question. He's going to ramble for a half an hour, and that's going to be the episode. What do you think, Chase? Think you can handle it? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I, I can probably handle that. All right. I knew you could. We got the right guy for the job, Brad. At least you got somebody good hanging out at your house. Yeah, absolutely. Chase is the best, man. I, I totally appreciate his point of view. And we're going to have some fun just kind of BSing about muskies. Well, Brad, you know, it's July, mid-July, late. I don't know. We'll call it late. Do we call it late July or mid-July? I'm not sure. Anyways, it's... Uh, right, right on the fringe. Right. We're right there. And, of course, we can't talk July fishing without talking hot water. We had avoided it up until this point in the Midwest, but I think there's going to be a little bit of warm water pretty much everywhere now, don't you think, Brad? Yeah, absolutely. It's that time of the year, and I don't know. I hate this when this happens, but, you know, a couple days ago, we were sitting at 78. We just got done with a crazy 90-some degree weather yesterday. Chose not to go yesterday. We'll probably bounce out there tonight or tomorrow and see where we're at. But I'm guessing we're pushing that 80 mark and things aren't going to be that great. (laughs) You know, one thing, Brad, is sometimes rivers can be an option this time of year. Do you guys have anything like that that you can go and kind of get away from everything or not? We do have a few rivers here in the state. Um, For the most part, not in my area. I know Chase and I have been talking that we should probably try to push north and see what's going on up that direction. I don't know. It's really weird. Like my area here, for whatever reason, seems to be like the hottest during the summer and then the coldest during the winter. So we we need to get out and, you know, I'm going to make some phone calls and try to figure out where some other options are too to keep fishing. Well, and let's talk a little bit about fishing so far, Brad, and we'll talk a little bit about your, you know, the Mayhem 10,000 Cast TV show. Obviously, you guys are full swing into filming. Why don't you kind of give us a little update on how that's been going? Yeah, you know, we bounced around through the uh, south. I know that we kind of hinted around that earlier this this spring when we were starting to do some film trips. And honestly, I mean, we, we did something in Iowa again. We struggled down there. We had just horrible, horrible weather. So that was kind of a bust. Basically, we started going down and doing some southern reservoirs, and uh, I'm trying to think, right around in May, we were down there, we filmed uh, an episode, and then uh, two weeks ago, actually, Chase and I met up again on another southern reservoir, and we were able to get a couple shows done there, and that was a total blast, and we can let Chase talk a little bit about that whole system. It was really cool. Got a lot of fish. I'm really looking forward to actually editing some of this and maybe I'll spend some time editing while the water is too hot to actually fish. Well, that'd be something else. You, instead of having to do it, you know, over Christmas break and getting ready for shows, you can do a little editing a little early. That'd be, that'd be a new change. Yeah, definitely would. I I can tell you, you know, last year, the reason it came out in February, uh, our plans were to have it out in January, but it's demanding and it takes a ton of time and I've been trying to keep up with a little bit of editing after we do the shoot. And the reason I'm doing that is it just seems to flow. It's kind of in the back of your head still, you kind of remember what was going on unless you're too tired, which uh, (laughs) we've been burning the 
midnight oil, if you will. So I look at Chase and go, how many fish did we get? And he's, <laughs> I can't remember. You know, it's, it's so weird because you're running on fumes half the time. So the earlier I can get to editing, the better. Uh, it truly does help. You mentioned your early season, and I don't want to talk too much about early season. We're well past that. But you mentioned how, you know, last year it was successful. This year it wasn't. You want to dive into that a little bit? You know, we, we talk a little bit about fishing memories, and obviously, you know, you guys were hoping to have repeat success, but it just didn't work out. Well, you want to talk maybe why you think it didn't work out? Sure, absolutely. I can tell you that the month of June was probably one of the tougher well, hands down, it was the toughest open water bite that I think I've ever had trolling. It wasn't from a lack of fish. There was fish there, but they did not want to cooperate. And as you know, Jeff, and I'm sure others know, I use the uh, mass system where we're, we're pulling baits out on boards. Honestly, this year, the fish that I did catch in the open water was all on down rods. I mean, don't get me wrong, I got a couple out on the boards, but truly the down rod became more important. One of the things that I, I think was taking place is it seemed that the fish were way deeper than they normally are. And that's always a scary thing. And I, I don't like running baits real deep to go after them. It, it was remarkably different. And the neat thing about what I'm talking is, is that, like I talked to a Matt Seifert, he was seeing the same thing. I talked to a Philip Bowerly, he was seeing the same thing. We all were catching fish on down rods versus the bird rods, keeping our baits high. So it was a little unique. Yeah, it just goes to show you, you got you to gotta poke around. And you, gotta, you, you can have a best laid out plan in your head, but it doesn't always go off as the way you hoped. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, our water temps were unusually cool to start the season. I started out casting. Um, I was unfortunately not able to get out as much as I normally would right away early in the season because of some family things and what have you. But we started off with a bang. I think the very first day I went out fishing, I think we fished four hours. Kerry ends up hooking a, a 50-51. Get that in the boat. I'm like, wow, what a great start. She ends up dumping another fish. I was in the back of the boat, if you remember. I didn't even move a fish. She moved like eight fish in four hours and caught that 50-51, whatever it was. It was remarkable, and I'm thinking, wow, we're really off to a good start. This is going to be awesome. These fish are going to push out to the deep. And, and they did, but they didn't want to cooperate. And I, I honestly think that our fish didn't, you know, they don't all spawn at the same time. I think a lot of people have the idea that, oh, they're spawning and it's going to be over. Well, guess what? It doesn't work that way. And, you know, those guys that are out there that are whitetail hunters and they like to hunt the rut, guess what? Those deer don't all go through the same motions at the same time either. So I think what happened is we had some small cold fronts. And there was like half the fish were still spawning, half of them were done. And so that kind of cuts your numbers in half for, you know, finding them and locating them in the open water as well. All right. So moving on with your, you know, your Mayhem 10,000 cast journey. So you went to visit Chase and some of those Southern reservoirs are typically known to be, you know, trolling bites and you guys managed to find a casting bite. You want to talk a little bit about how that went down? A lot of the southern reservoirs is trolling is a big thing, and it can be a very key tactic uh, anywhere you're at in the south. I obviously prefer to cast, but I don't mind trolling at all. But it, my, how my brain works usually is if I go out on the lake or whatever, 
and I see 20 trolling boats and there's two guys casting, I'm going to join the two guys casting. Because in my head, that day, that fish is seeing a bait going this speed, this depth, at a constant speed all the time, that they're going to get used to that pretty quick. And what I found with a couple of the reservoirs I was at was that that was a huge thing was trolling. So I would just go out there and I would cast the same structure that everyone's trolling. A lot, I found a lot of new stuff too, but, but the casting was really dynamite when it came to uh, spots that people really trolled. Like I was there for a month, month and a half, and I had a great time up there and, and I did really good casting. And I did do a little trolling here and there, not a ton, but uh, the casting bite was unbelievable. Casting and jigging. And it was just, in my opinion, it's just those fish don't get to see it that often. They don't get to see a, a bait that deep that's, that's not going at a constant speed. And they definitely fired up on it. I think one of the cool things, too, Jeff, is, uh, you know, we were able to capture some fish uh, on Team Rhino Colors. I'd say that Chase really changed my mind on a couple different things. One being the dying dog. It, it's truly amazing. You know, he had caught the state record down in West Virginia a couple of years ago on or a year ago i should say on a dying dog and it was a bait that i never really i never gave it the time you know what i mean one of the things that uh that we were choosing to use were basically baits that are going to hop in the water column and so the dying dog was one of those choices not only the dying dog but mag dogs and and uh, medusas and so on and so forth where you're getting that bait to stop and go stop and go and like Chase just, he said it, you know, when you're trolling, it's a constant speed. Yeah, you can turn to the right, turn to the left and, and get those baits to go faster and slower. But at the end of the day, <laughs> Chase hit it up, man. It, it was incredible what we were seeing and what we were doing. Well, it, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to get that sudden, the sudden hop trolling. Pretty much impossible. You can turn your boat 90 degrees and yeah, it's going to rip it, but it's not going to be ripping it how you would do with a rod tip. Right. And that's what I found was key is to have that super quick, super hard rip. And that bait does a three foot hop if you're doing it right. And what I mean by doing it right is I'm not reeling on a tight line and pulling. I'm not reeling up my slack and pulling, reeling up my slack and pulling like you normally would. I'm popping that bait on a slack line. And we talk about it a lot in the show and I actually, uh, explain it in the show but it, it's a it's a very unique technique thing that i just kind of worked on while i was there and dialed it in to where it was very specific to getting bites like i had clients i had one per the guy in the back of the boat was doing it perfect and the guy in front of the boat was struggling with it and i'm working on him trying to get him dialed in on it and the guy in the back of the boat's catching all the fish and then once the guy in the front of the boat gets it down he starts catching fish it was pretty incredible to see that it was that big of a difference on catching multiple fish a day instead of just one or two. So Chase, let's talk a little bit more about the dying dog then. Is this a bait? I mean, this bait's not, it's not new by any means. It's been out for, I don't know, I'm guessing heck six years, maybe even longer. Who knows? Is this yeah. a bait that you found has worked pretty much everywhere muskies swim? Yep. I've caught, I've caught fish on dying dogs every single place I've ever been. And I don't know why I've always been, very confident with it but i remember i believe the first one i ever had is my dad was throwing it we were back on my home water and he was throwing i believe it was a gold orange that team rhino the gold orange that you carry that big gold one yep and i remember him catching a fish on it and i didn't like it at first and he was fishing super slow 
And almost every single trip we'd go over there, we really didn't know what we were doing at all back then. Almost every single trip, dad would catch one on that dying dog if he threw it all day and worked it. And ever since then, I started throwing it. I never had anyone show me how to use one. So what I, I just worked on it and got it to where I liked it. And what I do with it, and I've talked about it a lot with a lot of different people, and I'm sure people that have fished with me know exactly what I'm talking about, is I don't do the long pull crap. I, I like the pop stuff. I like to really hit it quick with a real sharp jerk and some slack. And when you do that, that dying dog goes like two or three feet, and then it, the head goes straight down and that tail wags like crazy. If you do a long slow pull, that dying dog goes, just say, at a 45-degree angle, and barely the tail barely wobbles and that's what i think is key i think it's really key to get that bait to go a 90 degree hang there and that tail does way more action if you give it that hard quick slack line pop i've used that thing all over the place all times of year uh like now um when we were there where we were just talking about uh filming i had weights on them i had uh, chaos weights on them and some days I was just throwing it out there and popping it back. And then the other day I would throw it out there, let it sink for 10 seconds, pop it eight to 10 times. And then I'd let it sink for five seconds. And then I'd pop it all the way back in the boat just to keep that bait in that strike range. Well, you pretty much answered my question. Cause I was going to say like, typically the dying dog runs pretty high in the water column. I mean, I'm going to yeah. say without weight, it's going to go what, maybe three, four feet down. What you think? It depends. I will say this. It really depends on how you're working it. I can get one without a weight on it, probably eight to 10. Okay. On a nice long cast, but that long slow pull stuff that I was talking about, it won't go down that deep. It's about what you're talking about, but if you give it that, I mean, you got to work it to get it down there. And if you put a weight on it, I would say a nice long cast, uh, medium retrieve. It would probably go 12, 10 to 12, 14, somewhere in there. But what's cool about it is if you get it down there, if you sink it down, like I was talking about, you sink it down 10 seconds. I believe I was having my clients sink it down 14 seconds, and that was about 18 foot. And I would have them pop it slow three or four times to get that line to get straight. Because if you just start popping it, as soon as you let it sink, that bait's going to come straight back up to the surface, basically. So if you pop it slow, you get that line to cut through the water and get it more... Uh, more straight and then once that line's straight then you can work as fast as you want and it'll stay down there that's really key is to not just start ripping on it as soon as you let it sink let it sink do two or three slow pulls to get that line cutting through the water deeper in the water column and then start popping it hard and that'll keep your bait down the right action right depth and that'll catch fish all right so let's talk a little bit about leader and rod setup what are you using for a leader are you using steel or floral uh, I've been using steel for, I don't know, probably three or four years. I used to use fluorocarbon a lot. And then when I got really big into jigging, I had a lot of fish eating that bait head first because I was jigging a little bit different bait called an L-tail, which I've talked a lot about too. Um, but those fish were swallowing it. I mean, it was down their hatch every time just because they'd never seen it before. And it was super incredible bait for me. Well, I started noticing that, that fluorocarbon getting, uh, chewed up pretty bad and, it, and i'm pretty anal when it comes to uh when it comes to leaders you can probably ask brad about that but um if it's got a fray in it or anything like that i can't stand it being on there so i just decided to go straight to wire i never have to worry about it i truly believe that muskies do not care whatsoever and uh, i never have to worry about a thing when i got that wire 
I mean, how about a rod? As far as rod goes, um, I'm a huge fan of uh, the St. Croix stuff. Uh, with the Dying Dog, I would probably say my favorite rod is probably the Sling Blade. I like the Sling Blade a lot because it's got a little bit of faster tip and it's a, uh, a pretty good backbone. When you have that faster tip, it helps you get that bait to really move. If it's just a stiff board, it's hard to have a slack line at all. And that backbone's good, obviously, for the hook sets and to throw that bigger bait. And when I was just talking about jigging there, that is my absolute favorite rod to jig with is a sling blade. I think one of the things that's interesting to me, Jeff, is we're in the world of everybody wanting nine and a half, ten footers, you know, as far as rods. And I don't know, Chase and I kind of have that same mentality where the ten foot rod, I mean, I've have some, don't get me wrong, but Ultimately, I think you have a lot more control and maneuverability when it comes to, like, say, a nine-foot rod. So, I don't know. It's interesting. You know, one thing I can say is that with some of the newer boats that are being built right now, they sit really high on the front end. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why a lot of guys are going longer and longer rods as well. A nine-six is what I prefer. That's, like, my favorite all-round length. Nine footers, like for jigging, I like a nine footer. And the main reason for that is, is because where I'm jigging down at home, I got all standing timber. If you have a 10 foot rod and you're jigging down a line of trees and you get on a limb and you need to move your rod around, instead of picking that bait all the way up out of the water, you can kind of maneuver that rod around the tree. And the shorter the rod is, the easier it is to do that. So that's one reason I've always really liked the shorter rod. And But a 9.6 is like my favorite length for a casting rod. I just feel like with a 10-foot, I just don't have as much leverage or power on pulling a fish. I personally still stick with the 9-footers. First off, I fish solo a lot. I'm kind of concerned about the extra length because it, sometimes it seems like you got a pretty good stretch by the time you get that 9-footer up in the air and you got to put a you know put a net under it. You got any, yeah. Do you do any solo fishing, Chase? Yeah, I do a ton of solo fishing. I mean, if I'm if I'm not guiding, I'm fishing. And a lot of times through the week where I'm a full-time guide, so if I have a day off through the week, most of my friends aren't able to go. So, yes, I do a ton of solo fishing, and uh, I've done it forever, honestly. And I, have a, uh, I had a really good net that I really liked. It had a really long handle on it, but the bag was kind of junk. I've kind of gotten away from that, and now I'm using a – I'm using a fray bill now and it's got a shorter handle, but a lot bigger and better bag on it. Uh, the only thing I would recommend for solo fishing is I see a lot of people freaking out. And I mean, that's not even just solo fishing. I see a lot of people just absolutely going berserk when they hook a fish, which I completely understand. But the biggest thing is that you need to calm down, get that fish in a bag and then freak out. And a lot of people want to net them too quick or they want to reel up to their swivel on the rod tip and try to net it. That is the hardest thing ever to do. It's super hard for uh, someone to net someone's fish when they do that. You want to keep about five to six feet of line out, especially with these big giant rods. And the bigger the rod, the more line you're going to have out. Play that fish around, get it pretty much whooped, and then put your net in the water, leave about five or six foot of line out. You can literally just swim that fish right into the bag. And when it starts going in, I just let pretty much let go of my rod and I scoop the fish up the net and it's, it's a done deal then, but definitely take your time with it. Stay calm and pull it right in. They're not going to go anywhere. 
All right, guys. So, you know, continuing on with the Mayhem's 10,000 cast update. So you we did some Southern stuff. Now what, what do we got going on, you know, we'll say, today? Well, the, the cool thing is, is Chase showed up here, I think, on July 10th, 11th, something like that. Yeah. And I had a couple of weeks of guide trips here and there. So Chase got out and did some solo fishing like you were just asking about, actually. And then uh, we also, we, I had a three days, I guess, what, a week ago or so that I had a guide trip. But I talked to my client, basically said, hey, would you be interested in filming? He was a little hesitant, I would say, but in the same token, I thought he's, I think he thought it would be kind of cool to see the whole process. And, and unfortunately when you're filming, the process is not always easy. You know, you're, you're wasting a lot of extra time in the boat with updates, with setting up cameras and so on and so forth. So probably stole from his guide trip a little bit, but in the same token, we fished some long hours. So we were able to do a show that we're going to call the guide trip. And we're able to accomplish the, uh, the task of putting the show together. Basically, the fish cooperated. What we're seeing is the fish are right now still transitioning. Some of those open water fish are moving the structure. We're fishing a lot of deeper structure. And, um, and the reason for that is we were seeing the fish were set up off the brake lines. They weren't truly up on the weed line. Now, Keep in mind, they are moving into the weeds. They're coming back out. They're moving into the weeds. They're coming back out. And we were literally seeing these fish on, on side imaging and seeing them staged on a lot of bald sand points. And it was really cool. I mean, you could literally drive by and look at where these fish were and then spin the boat back around and actually fish them effectively. Yeah, so the, the guide trip uh, episode is pretty sweet. Like you said, he had a really good client of his. Uh, I actually met him last year and fished with him in the boat with him and Brad. And so it worked out. We all knew each other. We all had a great time, a lot of fun. Uh, we definitely did a, we did some pretty good work on, on the fish. We got two pretty good ones and a couple more to boot. And uh, it, it was just a blast. And I think it's a really cool, different outlook on a, on a TV show. Um, it's, it gives you the backside of, of the guide life and it gives you the client's outlook of it. And, and then it, it brings together what guide trips are supposed to be having fun, catching fish and learning how to catch fish. And it's, a, you know, a, a guide trip, you know, it's, it's funny. We talk about this a lot, you know, Chase and I both have guided for quite some time and our views of guiding are maybe a little different than some other folks that are also out there guiding. And, to me, it's truly, truly about that person that's that's paying me, right? I mean, it's not about me catching fish. It's Chase feels the same way. And it's about teaching them every little detail that's going to take them to the next level. And it might be specific to a time of the year. It might be specific to our approach to how those fish are actually eating. But at the end of the day, it's truly about the client. And uh, we were able to be successful in that, and, and it's really cool. So I, I don't know. That was a fun one. Since then, we did a, a night shoot, and we have that half done. I'm a little bit nervous that this, uh, this weather change and the way the water temps are going to be it might take us a little while to, to recap day two. But we did some night stuff, similar to what we were just talking about, where these fish are on the breaks. Uh, it's really interesting as these fish have transitioned here in the July, 
they definitely have uh, kind of got hung up, I would say, off the weed lines. Now, keep in mind, you, you can set up your boat, and some of the bodies of water that I fish, our brake lines are very, very steep. And so because they're steep, we're trying to work a bait very, very slowly and bring it off that weed line and letting it drop by retrieving very, very slow so that the fish can actually identify it, especially if they're deeper in the water column. And that's just what we did on that one as well. All right, Brad, you mentioned night fishing. Why don't we talk a little bit about that? Because that might be something that, you know, people typically like to dive into that stuff in, you know, July and August when, when the heat of the day gets out there. Why don't you offer up maybe a few tips for people that are just getting started night fishing? I'm sure we've talked about it on previous podcasts. You know, if you if you want more information on it or hope to catch up on it, look to some of the episodes from last summer. I'm sure we talked about it on a, on a handful of them. But, Brad, to update people, why don't you, you got any tips that you can offer up for night fishing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the night fishing thing, it, it's special. And I, the reason I say it's special is plain and simple. I really, truly believe that you get to use different sensors that you don't normally use during the day. I think during the day, we're always visual, right? So, you know, you make your cast, you know exactly where you're casting. You can see where you're casting, where at night, you got to really think about where you're actually going to put that bait, right? That's one thing. But, you know, if you can't see, if it's really, really dark out and you can't see your bait coming in, you get in tune with where that bait is, where it's at to your rod tip. And I think that's part of the special side to it, Jeff. I, I really like that you're using your feel. You're, you're using your ears. You can't visually see, per se. So just keep that in mind as one. Um, I think it's really strange, too. You know, I mean, 15 years ago, we spent tons of time after dark. And it seems like there's nobody else out. You know, everybody talks about fishing pressure, and they talk about how you know, there's all these people on the water. Well, guess what? You can get out there after dark and you can do the same things that you would do during the day and make it all come together where these fish seem just a little slightly dumber, if you will. How about, you know, you got somebody that's new to it. You got any, um, I don't know, anything you can offer up like to, to make it easier to, you know, figure eight in the dark. You got any tips on that? I mean, cause I know that's a, that's a major issue for some people, you know, they don't know where their bait is. They're, figure eight and you know when there's 10 feet of line out yet or they reel their their bait right up into their guides on their on their rod you got some some tips on that yeah absolutely i i think you know as you uh progress into the dark and you start using some of those other sensors like i was talking about where you can't visually see there's a couple little things i mean years ago one of the things that that i would do is i would use a little owner glow it's like a little it looks like a tic-tac actually, but it's a little gel bead. You can do that and you can charge up that little glow bead. It kind of gives you a reference of how far away you are from your leader. I mean, it's going to sit right there. So you're not banging that, that tip in there, but we're going to throw something at you here in a second. You just definitely, it's time on the water and it's, you know, making those little adjustments and getting super in tune with your, with your bait. That's the biggest part. So basically, you know, that glow bead can definitely help, but I'm going to let Chase talk about something that uh, I learned years ago, and it's probably goes against the grain, and a lot of people are not going to even want to fathom this or believe in it, but Chase was asking some questions before we went out. I'll let him take it from here. So we're, we're going out to film for a night shoot, 
a trick that I used to do back home in West Virginia, because it's way darker there than up here. You got a lot of light pollution here. And uh, what I used to do is I would take uh, surgical tubing and I would drill a hole through the side of it. So like through the walls of the tube, I'd put my line through it and then tie my leader on. And that would give me a dampener. So that way I'm not clanking my swivel to my rod tip all night. And I'm in the shop with Brad and I'm asking him, where's the surgical tubing? And he's like, what for? And I said, just wait, I want to show you something. I was trying to, you know, impress him a little bit. <laughs> Once I told him what I did, what I was doing with it, he said, no, don't do that. He said, they like the clank. And I just looked at him like, there's no way. What, what's he talking about? Everything I've ever done has always been, no, do not clank. Well, he's telling me how he thinks that's a trigger. You're cranking that bait in and that fish is listening to those blades it's getting up close to it you get it to the boat and you hear that clank and those fish eat and that's what he's explaining to me and i mean i believed him because it's brad hoppy and he's good at night fishing but that's just in my head i'm like wow that does not make any sense at all well we go out night fishing first fish i caught uh that night i reeled up clanked the swivel really hard and loud and did not mean to do it and then my rod loaded up caught a fish doing it and it, it was pretty cool to capture all that in on film. And then Brad had just told me two hours before about this, and I was in disbelief. Well, now I believe him. It's funny, Jeff. You know, it, one of the things with filming after dark, I, I don't know, it's tough to make it really good, a good show out of it, right? I have improved some of the lighting and so on and so forth, but uh, I, I don't know. I think the viewers are going to enjoy it. I mean, we, we got three really good fish the first night. And uh, once we film the second part, hopefully we can get a couple more in the bag. But there's those idiosyncrasies that Chase was just talking about. You know, some of the things that people say you do not want to do are sometimes things that can trigger fish. And I think it's really important, you know. So that's one thing. Uh, I would say this as well. And I think that, you know, it's better if you can go out and actually fish during the light hours, try to locate some of those fish, figure out what they're sitting on. And then once you figure out, Hey, they're on points or Hey, they're on inside turns. They're on the weed edge. It's really important to know where you're going to fish after dark and you can utilize your waypoints. And this is something that we've always talked about. I know Chase and I have talked about this a bunch, but I wish we could do like a 24 hour or a 36 hour waypoint where you drop it on your screen and 36 hours later, it goes away, right? Because you could end up waypointing fish here and there and everywhere. And those, they might be good spots that you go back and fish later, but pretty soon you have a thousand waypoints. They all kind of run together and you're like, where do I go? I've got too many waypoints, right? But Utilize your waypoints to begin with, at least to kind of know where those fish are before you get into the dark period. That's actually not a, not a terrible idea. I do wish they had that because I like to do that with bait fish. Like if I'm out trolling open water and I locate some bait, I'll, I'll, mark, I'll mark a waypoint, but I don't always want it there forever because you know how that goes. It's, they don't stay there forever. You know what uh, I started doing was, and it's funny because I get up, I started doing it in June. And then when I come up here to Brad, he's doing the exact same thing. So you're going to say you're idling and you mark a fish on your left-hand side on side imaging. You want to mark that fish, but you don't want to drop a waypoint. Just do a, a 360. Turn your boat 90 degrees, do a 360, keep going. Well, now you have a waypoint 
that's not set in stone, but it's a it's in your map to where you can see that curly cue. And later you can come back and like, okay, there's a curly cue here, curly cue here. Let's cast those two spots and get out of here. And it, it it was really funny is when I got in the boat with Brad and he did the exact same thing. And I just 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 started doing that probably two or three months ago. Yeah, I, I use that, you know, it's in my trails then, right? So you see this little loop in the trails. Guess what? There's a fish there. The only time nowadays would I, it's really strange, especially in the open water. If I'm in the open water and I'm trolling and I, I hook a fish, I hit mark right away. And the reason I hit mark right away is I really truly believe there's eater spots and I believe that there's spots that fish are on the move. They're traveling, right? If a fish eats on that spot, I guarantee you, you're going to catch multiple fish on that waypoint when you're in open water. And it, it's similar to that on structure as well. I definitely believe that there's areas that they like to eat and there's areas that they're on the move or they're just relaxing and hanging out. Yeah, 100%. Well, some solid tips there for people to, uh, you know, mark, a couple marks some bait fish. I, I mean, I like that, uh, that 360 or make, make that turn like that. That's a good idea. I actually never thought about that. Of course, I'm not as smart as you two, but, you know, <laughs> just because I'm, I'm a stupid electrician, right? I say that all the time. And then my buddy will correct me. He's like, you're not even an electrician anymore. So then I'm just stupid. So. <laughs> oh jeff uh, it's too many hours on the water i mean yeah the more time you spend on the water the weirder you get so <laughs> yep. all right so i heard a little bit from brad about some tips of after after dark fishing night fishing chase what do you got to offer you're the young gun so you probably got some new fresh ideas i hope yeah southern night fishing doesn't seem to be as big of a thing as uh as up here but I will say there's a few guys definitely in my area that have done it forever. And I learned a lot from them. Uh, Troy Radcliffe and Danny Haddix, two really good buddies of mine. And I would honestly say that they're probably one of the originators of casting after dark in, in West Virginia. And uh, I fished with Troy all night one night. And it was probably the first time I ever night fished, like legitimately night fished. And I learned so much from him. Um, but one thing about going into your eight, which is a lot of people have uh, struggle with that. And again, me and Brad just talked about the clank and the swivel into the rod tips, not really a bad thing. But if you think it is, here's another tip to keep you from doing that is just say you're throwing a, a cowgirl or something that's got some pull. So you make your cast, you're, you're slow rolling it in. And the closer you get to the boat, when you think that you're about halfway in, um, start taking your rod tip to the left and to the right. And as you do this, you will start to feel um, resistance on your rod tip. So the closer that bait is, if you put your rod tip to the left, you're going to feel more resistance to the right. And it, it's kind of hard to explain, but the closer the, the bait gets to the rod tip, the more resistance you're going to feel. And after doing it for 15, 20 minutes after dark, you'll be dialed in. And it, it won't, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But you take your rod and you go to the left about a foot and a half, two feet. And then you go to the right about a foot and a half, two feet. And I would do it really slow. I wouldn't do it fast. I would go real slow with it. And then that will kind of give you a gauge of how far that bead is out there. And that's a super helpful thing that Troy taught me uh, that night. And I've been doing it ever since. Um, the second thing is, you can't say this enough, is you want to go as slow and as steady as, as possible. And steady, in my opinion, is more important than uh, the actual speed. I think that bait needs to be going the exact same speed as much as you possibly can keep it doing that. 
and that's going into A2. I've noticed a lot of people, they're slow rolling it in, and when they get to the boat, they speed up. Even though they're, they're really not realizing that they're doing it, but they're doing a quick little two-foot jump from their uh, end of their cast to the figure eight going into that transition. So I, I preach it all the time with all my clients is that you really need to uh, work on your transition from your cast to your figure eight daylight or dark and that's how you will catch a lot more fish on the figure eight is your transition from your cast to your to your actual eight i think that's the most important spot when it comes to figure eighting but after dark you want to be keep that transition super steady super slow and one speed big wide eight and they'll eat and if you cut it short or you speed it up sometimes they'll lose it um, it, it can be very finicky if it's not a bright night where they can't really see and they're going straight from feel it, they, they can lose a bait really quickly. Yeah. I think, I think that slow speed is, is part of that. What Chase is talking about there makes total sense. It's about that even speed. Um, and the reason that even speed, if, if like he said, if they are trying to feel and know where that bait is, cause they, they're in the same boat that we are, they can't see as well in the dark. I mean, obviously. So I think uh, an even speed is more important than anything. And I think that's probably the reason we always say go slow. I think that slow speed helps you mediate how fast you actually are going and not making those speed changes to the boat. I'll tell you another important thing is too, is I, I truly believe is using paddle handles instead of power handles after dark, at least my, preference is a paddle because i feel like i can keep it more consistent with that paddle handle the handle's so much longer and once you get up to just say two o'clock on the reel your weight of your hand and is pushing that handle faster than it is when you're bringing it back up to the top and i think that's people a lot of people don't even realize that but it's a huge thing is that like a bucktail if you watch someone throwing a bucktail and they're burning it in just say like a cowgirl you can see that skirt pulsating well that's not because of the blades i mean yes it is but not entirely if you really pay attention to how you're reeling or just take a video of you of someone reeling in your boat and you'll see it instantly that's how i found it is you'll see that their hand their front half toward the rod tip is pushed down harder and quicker and then your back half is slower and a lot of people don't realize it. It's super tiny and not very noticeable, but it makes a huge difference. That's why I go to a paddle handle because I feel like you don't do it as much. Yeah, I definitely think it does become very evident. I mean, I think the easiest way, like Chase just said, is, is that flashaboo. I mean, it really wants to breathe in the water and there's no question about it. I mean, as you're reeling, just, just do a little 10 foot cast and you'll see it instantly. It's just pulsating the whole time. And that's, your speed some of it so i i'm with him i do not like the long handles and the reason i don't like those long handles especially after dark is that you you have a tendency to go faster i don't know it's all about maintaining speed in my opinion the other night um two nights ago when we were fishing this night deal i had a fish come in i go into my l and the fish is like three feet away from my bait blows up at the surface and it's gone obviously so i you know i didn't know it was there you're going into that l and i'm guessing what i did is i sped it up the fish lost 
where it was and it all of a sudden realized there's a boat right there you know and so i don't know if i hit the trolling motor or whatever but i think if i would have maintained a little bit better speed going into my l and making that turn potentially i could have caught that fish I, i think it just lost where it was lost the bait and it's so important and i think noisier baits at night can definitely help you but one thing that chase has taught me too is that noisy baits aren't always necessary and it's really wild i mean we're down um doing that southern reservoir thing we did a little bit of a night bit there and we were throwing medusas i mean and it's not my style i like something that's going to make noise it's going to push a ton of water well the medusa doesn't make any real noise per se but it does push a lot of water and uh, we got it done on that as well i believe the medusa Medusa definitely has its time and place, and it's a harder night bait, I would say, because you don't feel it. You don't feel a thump. You don't feel a vibration. You just feel a wet sock coming in, and I think it's truly is more, way more realistic than anything else after dark. So I think a pressured fish would uh, would rather eat the Medusa, but I've definitely seen nights. I've, I've seen a lot more nights that they eat blades and loud baits over a slow bait. But the nights that I catch them on a slow, quiet bait is they want the slow, quiet bait. They don't want anything loud. And I've seen that a lot. But normally a cowgirl or a detonator or Brad's bait, the hurricane, is a good one. <laughs> but uh, the, the Medusa is definitely a cool bait. You can add a spinnerbait arm. That's, that's what I was doing, too. I've done it without the spinnerbait arm. I do a big black husky deucer that I've caught a pile of fish on. That one, I go completely nothing on it. No blades, no nothing. Um, I believe when we were shooting, we got one on a regular Medusa with a hinge arm on top of it. Just a little bit of thump, but that hinge arm is such a wide gap between the bait and the the blade that I think it's okay that it's still a quiet. That blade draws them in, and then they hear and feel the tails on that Medusa, and then they just smoke it. And uh, usually when they eat that quiet bait like that, they really swallow it, is what I've noticed. I think it's new. It's natural, right? I mean, bait fish obviously make some water movement. They push water. Their tail's probably making some sort of a noise in the water. But for the most part, it's subtle. And so by using Medusa, you're, you're doing a subtle presentation. And I, I think it's really unique. And I, I think it's super cool. And I don't know. Chase changed my mind a little bit on that whole topic. So you can teach an old dog new tricks, huh, Brad? Well, I'll tell you what. Chase has taught me a lot of stuff. Uh, that's what I truly, truly appreciate about this sport. You know, I we always are continuing to learn. I mean, I, I say it all the time. I learn something on the water every day, you know. And I think when people say, well, I've fished for 20 years or I did this for 25 years, whatever it might be. there's nothing left for me to learn. I I call BS on that because you can always learn something. And if we aren't learning, we're probably not catching, not consistently anyway. And so I I really feel that you need to continue to try and push the envelope, right? One thing that I was going to mention too, on this whole night fishing thing, you know, Chase mentioned it like in West Virginia, his home waters, I mean, and there's multiples down there that he's done this on. It is pitch black. I mean, like <laughs> black. You're like in a cave at that point, right? Well, here in Minnesota, for the most part, we have a lot of cabins and what have you on the water. 
Um, it could be the moon as well. The moon will have some, you know, light penetration into the, into the water. The different cabins and lights that are on the shoreline actually do provide some light pollution, if you will. And that light pollution, you know, everybody talks about black nickel. If you're throwing blades, you got to throw black nickel after dark. Don't get me wrong. It's a great color. Um, black is going to be, you know, that silhouette basically of, of a bait for that fish to ident identify but when you have light pollution, whether it be from the moon or shorelines or whatever, pinks and chartreuses are really, really good after dark. And it also helps you identify where your bait is when it's coming to the boat. So something to think about. So like, in, and like he's talking about in West Virginia, um, before I came up here last summer, I didn't even know it was possible to see a follow-up after dark. I had no idea that was even a thing because I had never been to Minnesota. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Well, the first night we're night fishing, I bring up a detonator and I look behind it and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a fish behind me. How am I seeing this right now? Am I just so tired from driving or what? No, it, it was a fish. I had one go around the eight and I can see the thing like no problem at all behind my bait. And that absolutely blew my mind. I mean, I've been in the front of my boat uh, back home, and you can't see the trolling motor. Like, you, you can't see your feet. You can't see anything. It is, it's like fishing literally with uh, a blindfold on. It, it's insane because our mountains block out the, the, anything, that any kind of light you have, the mountains block it out. Uh, especially on a new moon night, it's, it's insane how dark it is. But that's night fishing up here is definitely cooler. I think like what Brad was getting into with collars, I think collars actually make a pretty good difference up here. Um, down in my Southern stuff, I really don't think it's as big of a deal. I've definitely noticed on brighter nights, like a full moon night, which is still really dark, but I think uh, brighter baits are better on a bright night. That's just my personal preference. And uh, up here, uh, as night fishing a couple nights ago before we filmed, and I did really well on, on white, and it was a pretty bright night. Yeah, the stern light also provides a little bit of light. You know, I fish on the port side, and the stern light is obviously on the starboard. But that light will actually help give away a couple fish as well. It also will help uh, you see your bait as you're approaching the boat. And the bow light will also do that. I mean, it's amazing, but that bow light is just enough where you can see on the surface of the water. I will say this too, Jeff, one thing that uh, I've seen some different people do, they'll run a green light uh, as a headlamp or a red light on their headlamp. I do not like that. And the reason I don't like that is I think it's kind of unnatural. And I, maybe they see green, maybe they see red. I don't know. I don't care. I think being dark is, is better. That's just my personal opinion. I'm not chastising or saying anything negative about those people that are using that kind of light, but it's not natural. So I, I just don't think it's right. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, if I get up late at night and I open up my fridge and there's a giant red light shining at me, it's probably going to freak me out. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Definitely. Some late night cheese or cookies or something a giant red light shine in my face i'm, I'm probably gonna swim away <laughs> <laughs> well on that note let's uh let's wrap this one up i want to thank everybody for taking time out of their schedule i got a feeling since chase is uh, hanging out with brad for the next couple months we'll probably be uh hearing from him again it's always good to you know kind of 
kind of have a couple guides over there that are on the water all the time to uh, pick their brains when we're in a pinch, and we were this week, so it's good to have Chase on. We haven't had Chase on in quite some time. Chase, if people are looking to get in touch with you to go fish in the south, or even if they're going to fish with you in the north, how do they go about doing that? I'm on Facebook. I got uh, Gibson's Guide Service on Facebook. That's one way. You can message me on there. Um, best way is to call or text me. I would probably recommend uh, texting me because I have not very good service um, at 304-816-6607. But uh, I prefer a uh, text. And if you call, definitely leave a voicemail because I'm on the water probably almost every single day for more than 10 hours. So it's hard to keep up with phone calls if it, and getting back to everybody quickly. So text or voicemail, definitely do that, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. The other way that everybody can contact us too, Jeff, is uh, through the social media platforms with Man's 10,000 Cast. Yeah. We're both on Facebook as well as Instagram. So we'd like some more follows out there, that's for sure. We we really aren't putting a ton of stuff out there, but we're we're getting ready to, put it that way. We definitely would like to see an increase there. Yeah, gonna start posting more content on the man, ten thousand casts and whatnot, and we're gonna really try to work on that. We've got a lot of stuff starting to build up, a lot of stuff to uh, share with everyone. Excellent. And if people are looking to get gear to get out fishing yet this year, check out teamrhinooutdoors.com, and then you can also check out muskymayhemtackle.com. We want to thank everybody for putting up with us for another episode. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Chase, for bailing us out. And we'll catch everybody again with another one next Wednesday.